Welcome to Two Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we got some good news and some bad news last week. How you feeling? <laughs> I'm, I'm all right. I'm surviving. I think uh, there was a little bit that uh, helped us all recover and you can get over some of the bad news. But uh, I would say I'm doing okay. How's that? that yeah, I'd say, I'd say so too. We did get the win against Syracuse, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And that was great for basketball. We finally beat one of the better teams in the ACC as opposed to just beating up on the bad teams. But, of course, we did have uh, a lot of stuff going on with the football program. Why don't you try to give us a cheers before we get into our news and notes? I don't I don't think it would be that hard. Uh, so, two, one, to Justin Robinson. Uh, unless you're hiding underneath a rock, seeing that game was outrageous in terms of what he was doing it. Feeling it and uh, was not even doesn't even I think articulate what he was able to do on the court in that Syracuse game. So, you know, as one of our veteran players, that's just an awesome thing that he'll probably remember for a long time. I know Hokie fans will remember that game for a long, long time because it was just out of this world. And, you know, the castle was just packed and screaming and going nuts for it so it all just kind of culminated in something that i thought was really exceptional and we're, we're going to get into a lot of the negative and positive but um another cheers to a lot of the young players uh if you can call them that because they've had to mature quickly on the football team we're coming together and trying to put together kind of this unified front of positivity for the program from this point forward. I have uh, plenty of, uh, of thoughts about everything that's happened, and I know you do as well, but there's no doubt that um, that takes a lot of maturity amongst a uh, relatively young team for them to be able to come out and do that. So cheers to them as well, and hat tip to their ability to kind of see past some of the you know issues that we've had recently and really just focus on the future. Cheers. Yeah, Robinson's performance was was truly amazing. The 35 points, which he only shot three-pointers and free throws in the game. <laughs> and he hit nine <laughs> threes. And then you had him breaking the assist record uh, that was previously held by Bimbo Coles on the same night. So just just an outstanding night in Blacksburg. And from what I could in- tell via Twitter, and I had some friends too, it seemed like a football weekend for a basketball game this past weekend. Yeah, and the three-point single-game three-point record, which was uh, previously held by Outlaw, who's on the team currently, and he was even ec- ecstatic, or at least it seems so, to to see what happened and see his record of eight three-pointers get beat out by uh, I think it was nine that uh, that, right. that Justin Robinson had. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. Let's move on to this football news, and then we're gonna have. Andy Bitter come on the podcast and do an interview with us and to uh, maybe go into a little bit more detail on some of the stuff going on with the football program. And then we'll get back to basketball at the end. But let's just start off with the thing that most people already know is the transfers of Eric Kuma, Josh Jackson, Deshaun McLeese, and Chris Cunningham. That all made the news last week, at least that they intend to transfer and are entering the transfer portal. Uh, I believe... There's some hope that perhaps McLeese could end up coming back. But for right now, we're going to consider him as as one of these four transfers that we saw within 24 hours last week, right after the semester started. Yeah, it was um, 
it was a rough blow. And to see who it, who it was, you know, the Cunningham, I think, on the key play, French talked a lot about how well he blocked during the season and, you know, his, his production there. So everybody likes to make light of that situation because he's only caught, you know, a touchdown here and there. But um, he's obviously one of our best blocking tight ends. Kuma, who's an obvious starter for next year. Jackson, who... I, I, that one befuddles me because I thought that he would be in the running for starter, but whatever, maybe there's things happening. And then McLeese, who was absolutely in the running to be <laughs> probably our number one starting runner back running back. So, um, yeah, a, a lot of news. And, uh, on top of that, some coaching news as well. Yeah. We lost our wide receiver coach Holman Wiggins. He is leaving for Alabama. This is another thing that was coming down last week is, there's some interest from Alabama and there's some interest from Temple as to be their offensive coordinator potentially. But he ends up taking the Alabama job. And obviously the receivers and the receiving room knew that already uh, because that was part of the reason Kuma, I think, decided to transfer. Because like you said, it's probably going to be a starter. And, and when you see guys like Josh and McLeese also could be starters, uh, that's what really shocks you. And there's a little bit more, um, I guess, of an excuse as to why Kuma would leave because he's losing a coach that he really loves as well. But one position coach leaving shouldn't make guys want to transfer. You know, the, the, the program should have a better culture than that. Um, but you never know one individual's reasons for leaving. But but Kuma is leaving, and he made a point to to thank Wiggins, and he made a point to thank Coach Bud Foster, who recruited him, and seemingly made a point to leave Fuente out of his statement that he put out on Twitter, which is another thing that is all tied up in what's going on right now. Yeah, I, I have a, a fair amount of thoughts of this. You, me, and some other people have been texting back and forth a lot since the news came out, and since things went very negative and then very positive, uh, but the good part of us having our own podcast is I'm going to reserve my thoughts until after we get through bitter, because otherwise this could turn into a 25 minute conversation, yeah. uh, just about, uh, you know, my thoughts on everything that's happened, which we have been asked by some people, what are our thoughts? We don't have any more inside information, I think, than anybody else, uh, other than maybe what we've kind of, uh, gleaned from some of the tea leaves of other people covering this stuff. But I think it would be great to, you know, go in unbiased and hear what uh, what Andy Bitter has to say when we uh, when we get him on the on the the podcast here shortly. For sure, the last couple of nuggets I had were just that we hired a new wide receivers coach in Jafar Williams, and Andy actually just put out an article on Williams, which was pretty good. Uh, we're going to ask him about that later, and I, I thought it was an okay hire. I mean, obviously, it's not anyone that's got like a super proven track record at recruiting or coaching. He's been at a lot of places. He's really grinded his way up to get to power five football. And I put out a tweet saying that like his road to work to get to Virginia tech, like I respect it very much. And uh, he was at Rutgers and Maryland just before now. So Maryland was a very brief state. You can't really judge what he's done in recruiting off of necessarily what where he's been just recently but there's some connections there with Fuente's past and some of the other coaches on the staff and their past at Illinois State and and that's what I want to kind of talk to Andy about too finally we got signing day coming up next week it's February 6th we're still holding out hope for a couple of guys including Doug Nestor that would be the big offensive lineman 
that he between Ohio State and Penn State and us, uh, it seems like it's coming down there. Then JUCO defensive tackle Jaden Cunningham, we talked about that with Matei Sis in our last podcast. And then four-star linebacker Eugene Asante. These are all some guys that we're still looking at and hoping to get on signing day. They're probably kicking the tires on a few others as well. And, and per, maybe with Josh Jackson's departure, a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, there could be a lot of mo- – well – with just, I mean, all four potential moves. And I think it's best just label them as potential moves. We talked about McLeese potentially coming back now. So, but it does open up some holes here and some opportunity on top of just being a young team. I mean, now we're guaranteed to be a young team for not just next year or this upcoming season, but the season after as well. And you and I have talked about that. So, you know, people can see some starting time and see some opportunities for them to produce. Um, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I think it's time to give Andy a call. Let's get him on the phone. We are now welcoming in Andy Bitter of The Athletic. Andy, thanks for coming on the podcast with us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is uh, your second time. We've got you here. And this was your first season with The Athletic uh, just before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of what's going on with the program, how was it covering the program uh, for The Athletic rather than a traditional newspaper this past season? Uh, quite enjoyable. <laughs> uh, it, it's nice not to have that sort of deadline pressure where, you know, they played a lot of night games this past year, uh, and I would have been scrambling at, at, at the deadline to try to get a running recap of the game just to get into the paper and then rush down to the field to get quotes. And this year... <clears throat> completely different. You know, I'd, I'd actually go down the middle of the fourth quarter and get some color on the field and, you know, get the quotes and go back up to the, the press box and sit down and write my story afterwards. It was very refreshing. It was almost like a, a throwback to how things used to be because that's kind of how it was when I was first starting out as a writer. Um, so, yeah, it was very refreshing, sort of a, a new perspective on how to, to cover this stuff. Actually watch the games first and then go write about it later. A novel idea, huh? <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, you got a little bit more time to process your thoughts before you put it all on paper. Let's start with uh, in the middle of last week. We got news that four of our veteran players were transferring out of Virginia Tech, or at least intending to transfer. And this is, of course, on the heels of a very tumultuous 2018, which saw a lot of high-impact attrition of both players and a coach, as well as some poor play on the field. What do you think is going on with the program right now? And did any of the transfers from last week of the four of them uh, shock you more than any of the other ones? You know, I, I think it's an interesting time at Virginia Tech where you know there's always some sort of transition when you change coaches like that. And sometimes it doesn't happen right away and it's a little bit delayed. And I think you're seeing that now where, uh, you know, everybody talked about, oh, what a smooth transition it was going from Beamer to Fuente. Well, you still hit some rough patches with that. And I think it finally caught up to Virginia tech this past year where, you know, a bunch of guys who had bought in early and sort of been the leaders of that team had moved on. Some of them going to the NFL a year early. And, you know, Fuente mentioned the last summer, there were guys that were kind of, you know, they were button heads the whole time since he's been here and sort of hanging on by a thread. And I think uh, a couple of those guys sort of got purged out of the program in this last year. And, that's not to say these guys transferring right now are like that, but you know they were guys that were recruited by Beamer originally. They have played a couple of years here. They have some of them are have gotten or are getting their degrees, and there's all these transfer options for them out there. So 
Uh, I think in some cases it might have been they just weren't happy with their playing time or something like that. I think some cases maybe just didn't particularly like Fuente, and that's understandable if he wasn't the guy that originally recruited you to come here. Uh, but that all kind of converged in one moment where you sort of had this sort of butting of heads for the direction of the program in terms of culture and that kind of stuff. And all these guys getting to a point in their careers where uh, there are some options out there if they want to go somewhere else and, and maybe seek a little bit better playing time. So uh, I know Hokies fans are, you know, the sky is falling in Blacksburg for a lot of people. And I think after the initial, you know, news that those guys are transferring, I think a lot of people took a step back and go, well, it's not great, but it's not necessarily the end of the world. Because I, I look at those four transfers and I go, you know, Chris Cunningham is a good player, but you know, he was a backup to Dalton Keene, essentially. I mean, Keene started all 13 games last year. I think Cunningham had one or two in there. Uh, you know, decent passing, num- catching numbers, but, you know, nothing that can't be replaced in that sense. Uh, Jackson, kind of surprising, but then at the same time, when you look at the fact that, you know, was he going to win the starting job this year? Was it better than 50-50 that he beats out Ryan Willis? And then if he does, is is it better than 50-50 going forward that he holds off and then Hooker, Quincy Patterson, further down the line. I, I, I think if you look at his situation and he goes, you know, I could go somewhere else and start possibly two or three more years with maybe a little bit less competition, that might not be the worst thing uh, out there. Uh, McLeese is one that maybe was a little surprising to me just because I thought, you know, his playing time was right there for the taking uh, this next season. And, you know, we'll see if he actually follows through and transfers somewhere. I mean, just because you enter your name in that portal doesn't mean you have to leave. Virginia Tech could uh, potentially take guys back if they decide to stay. Uh, I just thought that was kind of surprising given that, you know, there was really nobody ahead of him on the depth chart. That said, the way that the Hokies have rotated back, so I can see how any running back would kind of get sick of that and want to go somewhere else where there's a little bit more consistent carries. Uh, the biggest one that surprised me was Kuma. And, uh, you know, I thought he had a big role on last year's team. I thought he was a veteran guy who was, uh, you know, sort of, you know, going into a leadership type role here. And uh, I don't know exactly what the reason was that he wanted to go somewhere else. And, you know, many people have noted in his little farewell message, he did not mention Fuente. Uh, I think he mentioned Beamer and he mentioned Bud Foster, who I want to say originally made contact with him on the recruiting trail. So maybe that was an issue where he and Fuente just did not get along. And he wanted to see what else was out there. But, you know, of those four, I think Kuma's the one that you go, and that's a guy that was going to be a definite starter and, and certainly a big role this offense. And it probably makes that receiving core a little bit weaker. The only question, um, Andy, that I would have, and it's, it's Robbie, is <clears throat> at what point do the puzzle pieces start to come together to paint a picture, right? So, you know, you turn over every card and then, you know, eventually you start to kind of see what's happening. What, when do you think <clears throat> that you people should be concerned or, or not be concerned at all. There's always going to be turnover. They're Beamers guys. They weren't recruited by Fuente. And, you know, it's not to play chicken little, but everybody that's had a chance to leave this program and go somewhere else in a positive direction, you know, it has, has kind of chosen to, to leave. And that, that goes all the way back to Gerard Evans. And, they've, and that didn't end up well for him at all. So when do you think, in your opinion, should people start to be worried if things were to continue? Well, I think it depends on how next season goes. I mean, I mean you say people choosing to leave. I see guys leaving for the NFL, and, you know, I, I don't know what you do about that as a coach. 
I don't know what you possibly could have told Gerard Evans that wasn't plainly obvious to everybody else that, Hey, you're not ready for the NFL quite yet. I think Gerard was just headstrong and was going to plow ahead and go to the NFL. And, you know, the way Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges had played, I don't think you really could have talked them out of it either. <clears throat> Even if you eventually saw where they ended up in the draft, maybe could have improved their stock. You know, the guys last year, I think those were all pretty, you know, standout guys going pro. So I don't necessarily look at guys leaving for the NFL as some sort of, uh, you know, indicator that something's rotten in the program. Uh, you know, I think attrition is something that happens, certainly not to the degree uh, that it happened last year at Virginia Tech. That was a bit much. Uh, I, I will be interested to see if the roster sort of stabilizes here, if it's, if it's gotten past that sort of critical point where, you know, some guys who are from the previous staff, if they're on the fence about whether they want to stick around for this current staff, I'm, I'm curious if this is the end of it. But if it is, and if the, the record improves in 2019, I don't think people will be, you know, up in arms about, uh, you know, all this uh, turnover and the, constantly in the news and stuff like that. Now, if they have another six and six season, uh, yeah, then it, then it feels like something is amiss in this whole program. But I, I'm willing to give them a little bit of a leash here, considering that, you know, Fuente went 19 and eight in his first two seasons and had one bad year where historically Bud Foster's defense was the worst that it's ever been at Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't know how much of that you can pin on, on Fuente necessarily when this one constant that has been here in Blacksburg for all this time was, you know, so off last year. So I'd like to see if the defense can return to a normal state, if the offense is produced enough under Fuente that they can keep going forward. And, you know, honestly, some of the guys that he brought in in that first full recruiting class mature to a level that they're really taking on larger roles on this team. Yeah, I guess the remaining fear is that it's potentially some type of systemic issue that's making guys want to leave. It's it's not just a symptom of the transfer portal. Uh, it's not just because this guy wants to go pro or it. We you know we got guys that are starting caliber now leaving, and most of them seem like they didn't care much for Coach Fuente, uh, and they're all kind of on quote unquote his side of the ball. These are the most recent ones are you know four offensive guys, which is more or less his specialty. Um, and, and they're deciding to leave when they could clearly get playing time, snaps, catches, whatever. Uh, that that's the the real worry is that it's something deeper. And, and I, I, judging by the tone of your voice, it doesn't seem like you really feel that way. Well, I don't know whether to feel that way. I don't know if this was sort of the perfect marriage of time and, and circumstance where some of these guys had the opportunity to go elsewhere and took it. Um, I don't like jumping to conclusions on some of this stuff. I, I like to sort of see if a pattern emerges a little bit longer than what it has. And yeah, last season was terrible and there was all sorts of turnover, but is that going to continue for a second straight season and beyond? And is that going to affect the record? I mean, you know, I, a lot of these guys leave and, and people are just because they're recognizable names. Everybody goes, Oh my gosh, this program is in, in turmoil and these, all these offensive players leaving. I mean, this was a six and seven team last year. And I, I wrote about this the other day. It's not like Fuente is trying to keep together the 85 Bears here. I mean, <laughs> this was a 6-7 and seven team where a lot of these guys had a hand in the fact that this team went 6-7. and seven. And, you know, Cunningham was a backup tight end, essentially. Jackson got hurt and didn't play. McLeese was a backup running back. I mean, I wonder if these losses are as big as they seem like because they're such recognizable names. Uh, I, I think that's where I throw caution in this whole thing. And, and I wonder, you well. Know, 
you know, is it so much because they just dislike Fuente and there's friction that's going on there? Or was it because, you know, three of the four guys last year probably didn't have the roles that they would have imagined or would have hoped because of injuries and are looking at the big picture and, and this new mechanism to transfer somewhere else and maybe they're taking that opportunity? Yeah, that's fair. <clears throat> but there has obviously been a lack of transparency. That's something you discussed with us the last time you came on the podcast and your old podcast buddy, uh, Aaron McFarling put out an article recently talking about that lack of transparency and you add in the extremely questionable roster management and the first losing season in 26 years, as we're all well aware. Do you think that wit and coach Fuente will start making some changes in the transparency regard, perhaps? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm just being honest. I, I just, I, I don't, I'd like him to, I'd like them to, to talk more with us and open practice and stuff like that. But I just don't think that's his style. And, uh, you know, I think big picture that maybe generally allows, you know, the fans and maybe the media cut you a little bit more slack if you're more open. I mean, everybody was willing to cut Frank Beamer some slack because he was the nicest guy ever. Like he, he was like yeah. your uncle. Like he, he couldn't be mad at this guy. <laughs> Uh, and I think I think that bought him a little bit more time at the end there, where it was obvious things weren't really going great, but nobody wanted to be like, ah, Bieber's not getting it done because it was sort of sacrilege to say something like that. Uh, you know, I, I think you know you'll still be judged one way or another. I just think people are a little bit more forgiving when you're you're open like that. And I don't know if what they cares about that necessarily. I don't think that necessarily matters with Whit Badcock, but at the same time, you know. Babcock is soliciting donations for this program, this drive for 25 and trying to get people to feel like they're more engaged with the program. I, I just don't think it would hurt to do it. I just, I just would not expect it to be more open and transparent in the future. Yeah. That's funny. You mentioned the driver 25, because as all those transfers were going down, that was the joke on Twitter. It's like, Hey, everyone look for your inbox tomorrow morning to have a, a donation email in it. Cause that's what happened the day after ODU. And it just seems that it's they poor- have some bad timing. Don't <laughs> they, they? they do. They do. Uh, this is the last one. We're kind of, kind of grill you on this, uh, the, the topic of the program and the culture and that kind of stuff. But you have the losing season, the round of transfers, and then you add this uninspiring 2019 schedule there's no hiring splash or shakeup on the defensive side of the ball. The momentum is hurting. That, that's the long and short of this. Is the momentum of this program, it was hurting after the bowl loss, and then you say all the things I just said, and, and it's hurting even more. Uh, everyone makes the joke about it being a basketball school. Soon that's not going to be a joke anymore. Is there a sense of this in Blacksburg? Do you get the feeling from... I don't know how, how many interactions you have with wit, but with just people around the program that like something's got to be done to change the swing and momentum. Uh, I don't necessarily get that sense. I, I think people like to talk about momentum, but I don't necessarily think it's really too much of a thing. If that makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, people will talk about one season, how it bleeds into the next. And that always seems to be a storyline. Uh, you know, for us media writers or something like that. It's like, oh, they're coming off a big win in the bowl game. That leads into the next season. That's really never the case. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so far. It's funny. We, we joked about it after the game. It's like, you know, if they win the bowl game, we'll be like, oh, man, that's a big win. It's going to motivate you to do more than the offseason. And then if they lose the bowl game, it's like, oh, man, that's a big loss. That's going to hurt and really drive this team to the offseason. Whatever you want the uh, motivation to be, you can find it. 
uh, one way or another. So I don't necessarily know that I'm a big buyer in the sense of momentum, because I think you can turn things around rather quickly. Uh, certainly, uh, if there are some players that go through the program that maybe weren't quite as bought in as other guys, I think that can be addition by subtraction sometimes. Um, you know, I go back to that, <clears throat> what was it, the 2003 team that maybe was as talented as any team that Virginia Tech's ever had. Uh, you know, you remove D'Angelo Hall and Kevin Jones and Jake Grove, all go pro, and everybody just assumes that team would be horrible the next year. Uh, but Marcus Vick gets suspended, some other things get cleaned up, and all of a sudden this team has great chemistry and they're really good the next year and they turn it around on a, on a dot like that. So uh, I think it's possible to turn it around quick. And I don't necessarily I, – I think the default answer that people want to hear is, oh, you got to fire the entire staff or turn over this stuff and, and do other stuff. I think, you know, speaking from, you know, my conversations with Fuente, I think he's more about – have the staff in place, have the continuity in place, and go about fixing it from there. And not necessarily make changes just to appease people that want to see you make changes. Go in and actually, you know, do the work and get the changes to happen. Because, you know, I, love, I see a lot of people blame, oh, Tyrone Nix. Like, oh, the, the safeties were terrible last year. Like, well, he got hired in June. <laughs> he didn't even have the spring ball to, like, mesh with this coaching staff. And, and people are like, oh, Lechtenberg was a terrible hire. It's like, well, he's – Player personnel, he's only had one recruiting class uh, of players that he's brought in, specifically with a lot of junior college guys. I mean, these guys haven't even really been in place long enough to have an effect on how things are going to play out. So I don't necessarily know why people think those are the big problems or there needs to be some huge shakeup. And uh, I just generally think that's how Fuente thinks when he's, he's approaching these kind of things. <laughs> well, we did want to get your thoughts on the one new hire that they've made in Jafar Williams. Uh, I've read your article and uh, it was it was well said, and I just wanted to see if you actually thought it was a good hire for Virginia Tech in terms of the chemistry that he'll bring to the table. I mean, it seems like it would be if he's coached with a lot of these guys before. Uh, I mean, that's that's a thing that I think it's overlooked a lot of times in coaching circles is just finding somebody that sort of fits what you're doing. And uh, I, I go back to my time when I was covering Auburn and everybody talked about, you know, Tommy Tuberville needed to hire this offensive coordinator that could change the way the offense is run there and then modernize the offense and stuff. And he brought in Tony Franklin, who was just a mismatch personality wise with every other coach on that staff. And there was just infighting and, you know, clashing throughout the season. They ended up firing Tony Franklin like five or six games into the year didn't make a bowl game. Coverville gets fired. It's just an example of like, it, it looked good on paper to hire this guy. that's really sort of high uh, efficiency offense and everything, but he just didn't fit with that coaching staff and those styles. <clears throat> and I, I think that's a big thing when you look for in a coach is you got to find somebody that you know is going to work. And I think that's why you see coaches hire guys that they are familiar with or who come highly recommended uh, from coaches that they trust. And I, I know a lot of fans will see that and go, oh, they're just making, you know, hires from their Rolodex, guys that they've known. It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of how it works in college football because that's where you generally have a real high degree of success is when you're familiar with somebody, you're comfortable with some, how somebody works and you kind of know how they operate and whether they fit into how you go about things. And I think Jafar Williams is like that. I mean, I would assume so if he's coached with Cornelson before and, you know, him and Fuente didn't overlap, but he was there when Wiggins was there at Illinois state as well. So uh, I think having that background 
you look at, you know, he's recruited in Maryland and sort of up the I-95 corridor before. Uh, I think all those things kind of check the boxes at Virginia Tech. Now, I hate to judge a hire before it's happened, whether it's going to be a success or a failure, but, you know, I just look at all the things that you, you know, try to hit with an assistant coach hire here, and he, he seems to check off a lot of them. Yeah, I definitely felt better about the hire after uh, after reading your article and just hearing what you had to say there because, you know, you always are looking for these position coaches. You want them to be a splash, but let's be honest, none of the average fans know any of the position coaches' names anyway, <laughs> when, especially when you're hiring from outside the program. So you hear a name and it's not like, oh, we're not rehiring Aaron Moorhead? Well, then who the heck's this guy? You know, we, we only know so many wide receiver coaches off the top of our head anyway. That's the thing, that, that's, the thing that's funny to me is that – you know, I got some comments on my thing. It's like, oh, they should have hired, uh, you know, Eddie Royal or, you know, Josh Hyman or Justin Harvey. It's like, why? Just because you've heard of those guys before? I mean, nobody had heard of Aaron Moorhead before he came here. He had never even really recruited. And he was great when he was here. And he got promoted and went on to the next job. And uh, then they hired Zon Burden. And, you know, he's, you know, he had recruited in the 757, but he wasn't some huge name. I mean, he came from ODU. And now he's one of their most valuable recruiters on this team. So uh, I think a lot of times people get stuck in the name. I'll got to hire D'Angelo Hall to come to the staff or something like that. It's like just because they played at Virginia Tech doesn't mean necessarily be a good coach for Virginia Tech. And there are a lot of guys that are out there that maybe you've never heard of that have pretty good coaching credentials as well that can be you know successes when they come in here. Yeah, and, and Andy, I don't think we could agree with you more on that that front. The uh... I think the more frustrating part of all of it is we just wish we could hold on to some of those guys. I mean, it's not like Wiggins was, uh, you know, let go by Virginia Tech. So it, I think the frustration is, you know, some of our, our best coaches we end up, you know, kind of losing. And Torian Gray, the, that whole, you know, comeback, we knew that wasn't going to be a possibility. There was no chance of that. Um, but people, you know, you are, are appreciative of what those guys have done at the program, and we end up losing, end up losing them because, well, we're just not uh, Alabama, I guess it is. So uh, that's always seems to be the frustration I think amongst fans is scrambling for what could be the best, you know, the next best thing that nobody else knows about. I I think that's where the budget comes into play, and uh, you know, there's just a natural food chain to this kind of stuff, and it's unfortunate if you're a Virginia Tech fan, but. You know, Virginia Tech is 44th or something like that nationally in revenue. Uh, Alabama's got $140 million or something like that that it produces a year. I mean, if Alabama wants a coach and they can pay for him, they're going to get him. I mean, I don't necessarily look at that as a slight to Virginia Tech. They're like, oh, Alabama hired away your receivers coach. Because, yeah, every any coach in the country is probably going to take that job if offered by Alabama. But, you know, where Virginia Tech needs to work and, and uh, you know, kind of work on the margins is finding the next guy coming up. And, you know, historically they have done that. And honestly, I think Tech fans have maybe been a little bit spoiled by the fact that somebody like Bud Foster stays in one place for 30-plus years like that. That's unusual. Usually yeah. a program would have seen some churn there and seen a coordinator like him either A, go to a bigger coordinator job in an SEC school or something like that, or B, get a head coaching job. That's just sort of how the you know it works in college football. So um, I think this is maybe a dose of of reality for Virginia Tech fans compared to what they used to have. With you know, Steiny was here for twenty years, Bud was here for thirty years, Charlie Wiles has been here for twenty plus years. I mean, that's unusual to have guys here for that long. For sure. By, by what you were saying earlier, 
Uh, I'm guessing that you don't think there will be any other staff changes uh, this offseason. I don't. I'll say that cautiously. I don't think there will be, and there always could be after signing day. Uh, But it's not like Virginia Tech has a lot of targets that they're going after that oh, they want to keep these guys in the fold until the, they sign and then the coach leaves somewhere else. Like Torian Gray did a couple years ago when he left for Florida initially. I don't think there's – yeah, they're, they're in on a few guys. It's not like anybody like, oh, we got to keep this position coach here until they sign. So uh, I guess I'd be surprised if there were any more at this stage. But, you know, there was a coaching change in you know late April, early May last year with Galen Scott. So I, I guess I would never say never with something like that because, you know, these kind of things pop up out of nowhere sometimes. Yeah, me and Robbie, I think, and, and many others, were kind of looking for a change because of the lack of physicality on the defensive side, because of the busts, because of the poor play. Uh, it, it sounded like, just because of the chemistry and you saying keeping a staff together, um, and this is more of your opinion than what you think is coming from the program, just that it might be better to just stay status quo for one more year at the very least. Well, I, I I don't know if it'll be better. I just, you know, I think a lot of people put the blame on Brian Mitchell for the cornerbacks last year. It's like, well, he was a pretty good coach when he had Greg Stroman and, and uh, you know, and engaged Hassan, Adonis yeah. Alexander and Brandon Faison. I mean, these guys are that went on to the NFL. And all of a sudden you throw two second-year players out there with them, one of whom, Caleb Farley, is really playing cornerback for the first time. They struggle, and everybody goes, oh, what's wrong with this coach? It's like, well it is sort of the, you got to have the Jimmy's and Joe's not the X's and O's type thing. So I, I think some of it comes back to that. And that was just a defense last year that had been completely stripped of all of its seniors and leadership outside of Ricky Walker, essentially. And then you add on some injuries and there's youth on top of youth on the depth chart. I think it was just everything kind of coming together at once. And it was the worst of all worlds. And that's why the defense was so bad. I don't necessarily know if I throw that, uh, on the defensive coaches for why it was it was that bad. And, and if you do, I think some of the blame has to be with Bud Foster because he's in charge of the whole unit. Uh, so that's sort of why I'm hesitant to say, like, oh, Brian Mitchell is to blame for this or Tyrone Nix is to blame for this because, you know, they had a very small part in this, and, and a lot of it is the talent that you put on the field and how good these players are. Well, Andy, I, I can safely say that uh, you put out a couple of fires on this end of the microphone just because the, the some of the more calm, resolved answers you had for us, I think, help bring some perspective. Because when the transfers are happening and another one and another one and you see it and then guys are tweeting at them, you need to come to this school or whatever, it starts to like overwhelm the fans a little bit and everyone starts to freak out. And I think this uh, this conversation might help to... To ease the fears, although I still think there's reason to be skeptical. Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, is I sort of live in that social media bubble where I, you know, I look at Twitter all the time. So when those transfers were happening, I'm seeing you know Trayvon Hill and Mook Reynolds and all these other guys that transferred before. They're cheering it on and they're saying, "Oh, and another one, and another one." It seems like that's the only thing that's going on in that world of right. social media. Is oh my gosh, then it's just the only thing going there. But the real world outside of that bubble exists, and you know, while it was a setback for the Hokies, I don't think it was nearly the death blow for the program like it seemed like on Twitter at the time. So, uh, you know, sometimes I try to remove myself from that whole Twitter social media 
bubble and be like, you know, what is the real impact of this whole thing and, and how big of a deal is this? Yep, I, I couldn't agree more with you there. Why don't you get a plug-in for The Athletic here while we have you? Uh, well, if you haven't subscribed, I don't know what people are waiting for. It's, it's a great website. Uh, there's always a 40% off deal or something like that. So you can get it for like three bucks a month, uh, subscribe to The Athletic. And I will note that when you do that, you not only get my Virginia Tech stuff, you get everything else on the site, all sports, all teams. It's not like, you know, rivals or, you know, 247 where it's like team specific that you subscribe for. You get every single thing on the site, all writers. I think we have 300 of them uh, now it covering seems like all there's a new one every day. teams and a bunch <laughs> of college. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you will be overwhelmed with content if you on, if you go on there. So I encourage people just to try it out. We have a free trial you can try out as well. And uh, I'm going to be keeping writing you know, football stuff all off season. So uh, there's not going to be any shortage of stories about the Hokies on there. Fantastic, man. Well, we really appreciate you coming back with us again. Uh, hopefully we'll do it again maybe next summer before the season. We can make this a, a at least twice a year thing, having you on the podcast. Yeah, we'll we'll see if there's uh, six more transfers and a couple of coaching <laughs> firings before that. Maybe, maybe you'll have to call me back on before that. Yeah, kind right. of rub it in my face about, <laughs> about how wrong I was about this whole thing. So I, I, I'll, I'll have to take it at that point. There's, there's no choice. Now you're forgetting that it starts now, Andy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, it starts now. Hey, Andy, thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, that was a great interview from Andy. Uh, like I said during the interview, he definitely was more calm than I think a lot of people have been, including us. Uh, and we're going to unpack it in a minute. But first, let's do a beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? Well, uh, it's that time of year again. So the Hop Slam is out from Bell's. And we try not to repeat beers on the podcast as best we can. Yeah, I think we're I think we're up over 350 beers that we've had on the podcast. So it gets a little difficult sometimes when we're at the store, we pick out the same one again, but hop slam comes out every year. Usually the flavor is a little bit different every year. Last year's in my opinion sucked. This year's is very good. I, I think the flavor is excellent. And, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things that you kind of look forward to every year. It's like the Christmas ales that come out and this year, I think they did a good job with the Hop Slam. It's not overpowering. It's also not too soft. I think it's kind of like right, a medium balanced, uh, great uh, pale ale and, and IPA, and for that matter. Well, I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I am also drinking the Hop Slam, and I have never had Hop Slam before tonight, or <laughs> before this past week when I bought it, I should say. And it's awesome. And last year, I remember thinking, oh, I should really get it this year. I've never had a chance to grab it. And I remember hearing, like, it wasn't so good last year. Um, and this year, my Whole Foods down the street happened to get it. I happened to be in there the day it was delivered. Yeah. I, I'm like, I'm going to get it this year no matter what. And you texted me that night. You're like, it's really, really fantastic this year. And I completely agree. Uh, IPA, brewed with spices and honey. Uh, and it's it's 10% alcohol, but you would never know. It's not even kind of sweet, but like not in a annoying way whatsoever. It's just a little bit of sweetness, which I guess cuts the alcohol. It's got a very clear color. It's not hazy in any way. Um, and the fact that it's 10% and it tastes like, it just tastes like a really good, like pale ale, essentially it's, it's phenomenal. I love it. Yeah. They, they do 
such an awesome job. And it, 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 listen, a bad year for Bell's Hop Slam is still a good year for any other beer. They they got this down to a science. And I, I was also impressed because they're mass distributing now. Usually, It used to be hard to get the Hop Slam. So like you have to show up, be there on time, you know, pick up your, you know, your case. And now you go into Whole Foods and there are cases of it. So they're distributing on such a higher level. And I think it's still kept up the quality, which I'm really impressed with. And um, I don't know. It's just a it's a beer that's kind of near and dear to my heart. It's one of the first hard to get beers that I ever had. And and get to see how it tastes different every year. It's just it's just kind of fun. Those are the kind of things that, you know, make you uh, drinking beer kind of, you know, fun. And, you know, you wait another year and see what you get next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a highly sought after beer. People are talking about it on social media and stuff. So when I, I randomly walk in the grocery store and I see a pile of it, I'm like, this is my lucky day. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was great. Um, so yeah, we, let's move on to the, uh, to the reaction to the interview because, uh, Unlike our review of Hopslam, maybe this won't be as glowing. I, I do appreciate the perspective of Andy Bitter because you we can't all overreact to this stuff. Uh, uh, if you see a few transfers and uh, one starter goes out the door, and you're just like, okay, this is this is a huge problem. But I I do like the fact that he kind of brought us back down to earth, and now we can ratchet ourselves back up <laughs> because I think both you and I are um, not as it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There are reasons to really be scared of what's going on at tech. Yeah. And and this has been a struggle for me because I mean, as you know, I'm usually relatively passive on the podcast other than a couple things that I I feel about. I'm usually not the the one other than, you know, if I'm up late at night, uh, having a few beers, uh, and send out something on Twitter, but generally on the podcast, I try and remain, you know, relatively, even keeled. I tried to, and I think you do as well. And this is the first time that I kind of started to disagree with the even keeled, uh, aspect, which is an uncomfortable position to be in for, for me at least in that. I, I think there's some, a little bit of worry to have here. I mean, these are, these are not, these are these are not players that you know weren't anticipated to start that had to question whether they could be in the play. Other than Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson he may have gotten beaten out by Ryan Willis. He could have you know QP could have came up. You know what things could have happened there. But outside of that, these are true starters that have a chance. And in the case of like Kuma, I think Kuma can play in the NFL. I think he had a clear sight picture to that if he continued to perform and increase it you know um his production i think cunningham is a little bit more um suspect but he's sizable he's a good tight end he's blocking a tight end and you know there's the coaching switch ups between wiggins and you know what happened with scott you go back and every you know player and, and I brought this up on Twitter. Every player that has had a chance to play at the NFL level level has chosen to go. And and I think that is almost across the board. And, and that that's is, fine. But like it's also we're talking when you say chance, that, that's used very loosely because Gerard Evans had a chance, but it was a very small chance. And Isaiah Ford 
We thought his chance was higher, but he didn't go to the seventh round. Bucky is hanging by a thread in the league right now. And these are all guys that could have stayed, gotten their degrees, whatever. Um, and I, and I'm not, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I, you're right. Every time it seems like a guy has the most slimmest of chances to leave for any reason, whether it's NFL, go to another school and get more playing time, whatever, they've taken it. They, like it, it seems like the older guys, you can you can say that they were Beamer's recruits, all right? Like Kuma was technically signed in Fuente's first signing class. He was recruited by the previous staff the previous summer. However, why isn't the new coach forming relationships with all of the players in the program? You know, I, and I, I'm I'm exaggerating a bit, but you get my point. Like it's all about developing relationships, and just because they were the former coach's recruits or whatever doesn't mean that they shouldn't be part of the culture and the upswing. And, and I, I just, that whole thing of like, oh, there's someone else's recruits. Like let's, we can move on from them. The guys that recruited by Fuente, they want to be here. No, not all of them do because a few of those guys have left too. So it, it's, it, it's annoying. It's, it's just annoying to be going through it again. It's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And I, you know, we've both brought up in our conversations and this is where you to, you know, beer talks between you and I is, Wilkins, we don't have a Wilkins on the set that we're just going to stay around for another year. Like, we're not Clemson. I, I get all of those things, and people will probably get mad at us and be like, well, we're not that type of school that can just, you know, have the clout to keep those types of players around. And I'm not trying and, and, and hoping, I guess, that all of those players stay around. But maybe one or two or three do out of a lot of players that we have lost. And... The Edmonds brothers both went first round. Give me a, a, a yes, absolutely. They should have gone. They, give me a break, you know, and they made it. And I didn't know that, you know, both. Sure. I didn't know Terrell was going to go as high as he did, but he did. And he obviously made the right decision. So I'm super happy for that. But the, their players are not sticking around right now as well as I would have hoped that they will. And in this day and age, on the co- uh, on a, co- a head coaching gets like five years. That's how I think about it now. If you look around programs across the country, I think of it as five to six years. We're three years in. We're about to start our fourth year with Fuente. You just don't have that amount of time that you may used to have. You have to keep senior people, and or you our- have to show progress. You know, and and that that's really the the thing here is. We thought with the six seniors this year and having the, like the youngest team in the ACC, of course, we we're we know it's not going to be our best year. We were kind of hoping beyond hope that we could get to eight or nine wins. Um, that didn't happen. We did go to a bowl, and it was nice. But it's – he's moving the goalposts on us now. You know what I mean? Like th- this was supposed to be the one year that we had kind of a crappy season because the depth was bad and there was a lot of youth. Well, guess what? We have six seniors for next year too now in 2019 when this is supposed to be. So f- f- the the young players and the team meeting that they had, um, which uh, I think a lot of things were said and whatever, and it seemed to be a positive thing from all the things we've heard, is that everyone came out of that meeting after all the transfers with a very positive attitude, and that's where the, the It Starts Now hashtag was born by the younger players. I love that. I love that they were able to come up with a rallying cry of sorts after all of the BS that's gone on. But... <laughs> 
it's annoying that we have been waiting for to just kind of get through 2018. And now we have to get through 2019 with a much less entertaining schedule. And if he wins eight games and two of them are against Rhode Island and uh, Furman, like, am I supposed to be impressed? Like that's, that's the thing that's annoying to me. It's like, we, we kind of thought this was going to be the one kind of really bad rebuilding year. But now we've got at least one more ahead of us. And who knows how many more if this keeps happening. Yeah. And I get the transfer portal has really shaken up things. It's made players, you know, almost free agents. And I get that. And that's hard to come by. But we're at the top of the list on the transfer portal, by the way. (laughs) You looked up those stats. and uh, We're right up there with Penn State tied with like 10 or 11 guys in the portal. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't mean this to disparage any of the players that we have because we have a lot of great players, but Penn State's recruiting at a different level than we are. So we we can't afford to lose the great players that we have. And I would put Kuma up there with a great player that we have and a starting running back, uh, potentially. It's it's a little bit disheartening. I can at least put it that way. And I, I want to take it full circle in the area that I do know and I know well, and you and I have talked about this is donations and the high donors that I know, very high donors, people that are paying multiple scholarships for athletes, multiple full year scholarships every year. They're putting that kind of donation on the team. They, they aren't that, they aren't that excited about what's going on right <laughs> not now. Too shot in the ass about it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So, And I I donate a lot of money and I want to, I'll continue to do it. I've always told you that I'll continue to donate as long as I can, but you got to get some stability, especially coming off of what was supposed to be a year that we got through and we had some very, we had a lot of youth, but we were all excited about the future. Mm -hmm. And I think I was very, very excited about 2019, 2020 and what we're going to see. I'm still excited but I'm a little bit skeptical and I think a lot of donors are as well. And that's coming off of a year that we just had more donations than we've had in a long, long time. So Witt is out there doing his job. Now the question is, can the coaching staff do the same? And that they may well do. Who knows? They could rip off a great season and we could be in great shape, but (laughs) college College football does not exist without donations. Um, I'm sorry, it doesn't. And um, if you start losing donations and some of these people are pretty frustrated with what's happening, you got to right the ship a little bit. And I think that we recovered very well after a very rocky week, basically, is the best you could put it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after ODU, but after, you know, losing four people to the transfer portal and then there losing. was a swing of mo- emotion and momentum. Yeah. And, and, and I like that about the Hokie fan base by and large is an optimistic fan base, a, a realistic fan base on the whole. We, we all have our outliers. Every fan base does. And I like the fact that we can go so quickly from being down to being like, all right, you know, th- those guys didn't want to be here. These young kids seem like they're all in. Let's do this. And just taking that for what it's worth. And 
and I try to do that myself, and I am excited about 2019. I, I will never not be excited about a tech football season. It's just that my enthusiasm and my excitement and the momentum feeling that I have is that is it's in a valley right now. <laughs> there are yeah. peaks and valleys in this thing, and and it's in a valley. And I see a lot of people like dismissing. Oh, Chris Cunningham. I mean, he gets like seven catches a year or whatever. And uh, you know, Josh probably wasn't even going to be a starter. But you cannot. When you look at the whole, you cannot dismiss this. And when you lose a guy like Chris Cunningham, I mean, depth is vital, right? Quarterback especially. Like, depth is a vital thing. And having seniors and veterans that have bought into the coach's message is extremely important. Every time you lose a guy like Chris Cunningham, you lose a special teamer. You lose a body in practice. You lose a voice in the locker room, as well as their play on the field. It is not just his... 10 catches or whatever. It is so much more than that. And if Fuente's message can't get down deep into the roots and the fingers of this program enough so that these guys want to stick around, it's never going to. You, you need the older guys to be preaching to the younger guys. Maybe the it starts now class will do that. I, I am yeah. hoping that's the case. But I think we've explained adequately why we have concerns. No, I have and one further concern. And first of all, could not say it any better is because I, I'm not out here rooting for bad. I'm, I'm hoping for good. I'm hoping that Fuente has already dug it into the roots of, of all those people. And what we come up with is a team that is just so cohesive and so understanding of what they're trying to build as a program that it ends up looking good to, to counter that. I'm, I'm also extremely concerned about, what Andy just said, which I harped on, I, I started harping on it and I've been pissed off about it, quite frankly, and I won't be shy about it from a year and a half ago, is the lack of transparency. It started when the, the spring game was not getting televised. It started when media was start not getting any access, when they started limiting the number of interviews with players. And, you know, in my mind, that's even more detrimental than anything else. You're treating players like they are nothing in the program when they're the ones that the only way that they speak out is when we have all of this attrition and then they have to start their own movement. And I said this to you when we were like talking about it is if Fuente should be the leader in the law, he gets paid a lot of money to be the leader. And he should say, even if the players want to be the ones that are out there saying stuff, Fuente should come out first and say, Hey, we had you know, a meeting, we're feeling good, et cetera. The press release that they put out was complete and utter bullshit. It, it was, it was freaking terrible. It didn't say uh, and it didn't say anything. And then it was followed up by what I thought was really powerful, which is a bunch of players that came out and said, you know, it starts now. And I was excited about that, but they shouldn't be the leaders of like, the messaging, the messaging should come from the top and then they should be reinforcing it. You're basically saying that they're the leaders and that's all we have. And that to me was extremely frustrating and yeah. it's extremely hard thing that that's a program like ours, where we're positioned in the college football hierarchy, we need to generate as much excitement and as much enthusiasm for our program as possible. That's just the nature of not being a blue blood, where we are in the country, geographically. That's what we need to do. 
the fact that we're not doing everything in our power to engage the fan base is a giant mistake. It's bad public relations at the very least. And someone needs to tell Fuente to loosen the grip just a bit. I mean, we, it's, it's not as simple as just <laughs> televising the spring game. It's all of it. it. It's just all of it. Um, and, and if you want to, you want to figure out how to do it right. Look across the street at the basketball program. Like, look at the videos that Buzz Williams and the team puts out. Look at everything. It's everything is done the right way. And then look at the football team, and it's all done the wrong way. All of it. So, that that's that's my two cents. <laughs> no, it's I think it's the right two cents, and you know, other people will disagree, and I get it. We'll probably get, you know, we'll get torn apart for it. But I I think Buzz is absolutely the way that you should be running your program. He puts everything out there in terms of just motivating people, it being more beyond the sport and just being more about life. And it's amazing. And that's why the actual transfers don't bother me. I'm actually happy that people can find a place that they fit in or wherever they feel they're there. It's not their actions at all. And I've said from the beginning, I want people to fit in wherever they want to go. Wherever they think they can transfer and play or feel more comfortable at a school, I'm I'm so happy for that. But the leadership needs to understand at the program level that everybody's watching this. Like everybody's looking at what's happening. And if you're not saying anything, that's negative. That like if you're not if you're not articulating and if you put out a bullshit press release, which is was complete bullshit. And the only positive thing that came of all of it was what was said by the players. Then it doesn't look like the coaches are really behind you. It looks like the coaches are hiding behind a veil of, you know, we have great student athletes and I'm glad that we have great student athletes. I just don't think that they should be out on their own having to, you know, push this narrative by themselves. And that, and that in my yeah. mind is bullshit. Yeah, it's it's amazing how how powerful the students all tweeting that out, tweeting out the hashtag and, you know, Keen and everybody like saying, like, we're going to be good to go. Gerard Hewitt, like Reggie Floyd, they all, you know, whether they tweeted out the hashtag or just said something like we're coming for 2019, it was very powerful. And that came from the kids and not from the coaches. And that's um, <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit surprising. I, I like that. I, I hope that um, the coaches follow their lead, which that's not the way it should should be. But I, I hope that that's that's how it ends up. And I know we've been negative, and 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 I know things people are going to uh, misconstrue some of the things we said. If a guy can go to the NFL, we want them to go to the NFL. If a guy's not happy in Blacksburg, we want him to be happy and move on. But we also want our football program to create a culture that gets people and players to just going to be crushed when they leave Blacksburg. You know that they they want to. They want to stay there as long as possible because it's such a positive experience in their life and it changed their life forever. That's what Dabo has created in Clemson. And no, it's not easy to create. And yes, they win all the time. But you at least have to start showing signs that you're moving in a direction that someone would want to be like, I had such a good time here in my freshman, sophomore, and junior year. I can't even think about leaving because I don't know what my future holds and I want to stay at tech. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't say any better. It's yeah, it's you, you want people to be there. I also want them to take every opportunity they get. And there's going to be a lot of transfers now with the portal and things like that. It's going to be tough, but we've, um, 
we have starters that are leaving that are, are, are not a part of the program. And, you know, that's, that's tough to digest in a couple of them. And I'm just hoping, like we said, is it systemic? I hope not. I hope it's just, I hope it's just, these are the guys that want to move on. And, um, and then from now on, we just kind of move forward. All right. Let's do some basketball coverage. Yes. Let's talk about the guy that we just praised for running a, a great culture and a great program. Buzz Williams has the Hokies at 16 and three, five and two in the ACC. Since our last podcast, we did lose to UVA, even though I was optimistic that we might be able to pull off an upset. I was very wrong. Uh, UVA just bombed us from the beginning with threes and it, it got out of hand. We did follow it up with a win against Wake Forest. Pretty easy there. Uh, lost at UNC in a game where we had a lead and then Robinson and Nikhil Alexander-Walker had to go to the bench for a while at the same time. And that proved to be very bad. <laughs> and they started to to uh, kill us in that game and we ultimately lost. But we followed it all up with a win against Syracuse. And Syracuse had beaten Duke. They were 5-1 and one going into the game. Uh, as I said at the very beginning of the podcast, they're they're one of the few good teams that we've played in the ACC and beaten. Um, Notre Dame is not good this year. Wake is not good this year. Georgia Tech, they're okay, and that was a road win. But Syracuse has always given us issues. Uh, that zone, do you know what our remedy for the zone was? Just hit threes. <laughs> just, just, just keep shooting threes and don't take any twos and just, just rain threes and win. And I loved it. Well, Justin Robinson was our remedy for that. <laughs> for that, uh, I mean, they play a very tough defense, and it's not like a UVA defense, but it's up there. I mean, they they do not make it easy on you. And I I just I can't speak highly enough about what Buzz does and blaming Justin or I mean Robinson just deserves all of that credit as well because of what he did on the floor but to come off of that kind of I don't know two kind of heartbreaking losses the UNC getting destroyed and the UVA where we wanted to go on the road we pumped up the game it had national it wasn't televised nationally because evidently we can't we can't figure out how to do those things correctly, um, and that's not our fault. That's that's Raycom, right? That's them. It's the ACC. But, they got to get that game on television. That was ridiculous. Yeah. But it had it had national attention it, for sure. Yeah. It's two top ten teams, and to for Buzz to be able to. I don't know. Just build these players up to the level of what. I would love to see in our football program in they're not just inspired about play on the field or on the court. They're just inspired generally. Just, I think as people and he, he's shown time and time again that he just, as much as he wants to perform on the court, he wants them to just be good people. And I think it resonates a lot uh, in terms of who we've been able to recruit into Blacksburg and Nikhil, yeah, has had a couple games off and it hasn't been as good, but he, he's still like top, what, 15 in, in scoring and in the ACC. He's doing so much. And to see what Justin Robinson did on the court was just amazing. And we, that's with some losses. We don't have, as you tweeted out, Syracuse is a massive team. They are the tallest team. And we just found a way to completely 
beat around that and just it was it was pretty incredible yeah i mean that that's the thing is that they had according to ken pomeroy the the tallest team in the country syracuse does we all know that we are far from that and going up against that two three zone you have to hit your shots or it's going to be a long night and there were some other things that were happening inside because Robinson had eight assists in addition to his 35 points. But Nikhil Alexander-Walker, although he was an ofer from the floor, he had eight assists too, and <laughs> including like this sweet no-look pass to Blackshear down low. I mean, he finds ways to contribute to the game, and that's that's what Buzz loves. He's lo- He loves when a guy is not having a great night in one aspect and then figures out a way to still have a positive impact on the game. He always talks about that. And and NAW was the quintessential version of that against Syracuse because I, I don't think he's ever had eight assists in a game. That, that was fantastic. Um, and, and Hill had some awesome dunks. There was a lot of great highlights uh, from that game, and not aside from Justin Robinson's outstanding performance. So you take it a step for, forward now. We've got Miami this week on Wednesday. They're not having a great season, but it is on the road. And then we have to go to NC State on Saturday. NC State's ranked still. They had a buzzer beater against Clemson this past weekend. They're number 23. So you have a ranked matchup on Saturday on the road. Would be another huge win for the program if we could pull that off. Uh, but Miami, I think, is one of those games you got to – it's a TCB. You know, you got to take care of business in that one. They They are not – they're not the Miami that we're used to the last few years under Laranega. They're having a little bit of a down year. You've got to take advantage. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing a victory or anything like that, but I'm just saying it's one that you you really should win. Like you really should go down there and win. Yeah, I think three of our next four are on the road, and this team has struggled on the road. I think we can all agree to that. It's been very difficult for them to get up, and at home they've been out. I know undefeated. there's been some, yeah, they're, they're been outstanding. And this is a team that if all goes well, and I don't want to jinx us, you know, knock on wood kind of situation. If we do go to the tournament, you're going to be, you're going to be in neutral site locations. You're going to be on the road and we have to learn how to play in that atmosphere. And right now, this team's not doing that very well at home. They are outstanding. And I think they feed off the energy and, it's been pretty incredible to watch. I'm worried about this four game stretch that we have coming up and, um, and not to say that the teams are that outstanding, but just our general performance uh, on the road are, you know, our wins now Purdue starting to look really, really nice. Uh, oh my gosh. As the Purdue they're, they're, win has aged quite nicely. They're a top 10 Ken Palm team. Uh, we actually are ninth in the Ken Palm. I think they're one spot or two spots ahead of us. And then we're 12th in the latest AP poll, and we're 10th in the NET rankings, which is the rankings that are replacing the RPI for the committee to use to place the tournament team. So that NET ranking is probably the most important of anything that we'll talk about. And uh, that we're number 10 in that. So that is that is really nice. But yeah, Purdue beat Michigan State. They beat Wisconsin earlier in the year. And then last week, I think they also beat Ohio State on the road. So they have just been on a tear the last month or so. Uh, And the better Purdue looks, the better Washington looks, the better Ball State looks, it's all going to be better for the Hokies. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty excited. I am very interested to see what Buzz and the team are collectively able to do on the road now. Because I 
think we have to at least get a couple wins on the road to, to start getting that concern that a lot of people have about us on the road, you know, alleviated a little bit. And I know it's not a great against great teams, but it's important. Well, yeah, the Miami game is the one that really you should win. NC State, if they lose that one, definitely not going to be surprised. But the game after the NC State game is just two days later. It's Monday, next Monday, Louisville at home. And Louisville's number 15, and they have had a surprisingly great season despite all the nonsense and the changing coach and everything. But, man, they they are rolling right now. And if we could beat Louisville at home, even if you were to lose to NC State or and Miami, beating Louisville is massive. So a lot of important games coming down the stretch, a lot of important games. We we still got a little ways to go before we get to you know Duke at home on February 26th or even UVA at home on the 18th of February. But this next four-game stretch, uh, this is normally the time of year when Buzz starts to get the team in a groove. I, I think I was talking to you about this. If you recall, like we're very good up until like the end of December-ish, and we have our struggles in January. And then last year, I mean, we just took off in February. And two years ago, right after Clark's injury, we took off in February. So this is our time of year where we start to, and Buzz even got a couple weeks jump on it this time. So let's hope that we can keep the the Syracuse momentum going in the next couple weeks. Yeah. And I, I think this is our last part podcast. We lost horn. So I think that came out after our last podcast. So we, we don't have any size whatsoever. So we're going, <laughs> we're going to, that we're going to have to play very, very smart and hopefully I like I like how the players are so excited when other players are playing well. Yeah. Uh, I guess this is a good way to to put it. Is Outlaw was excited that you know Robinson's just hitting everything and you know beating his record. It, it, we're gonna need somebody or two people to step up every night because otherwise this isn't gonna last very very long with our with our size because it's it's we're playing pretty. Sh- Short, both <laughs> both with our depth and with our size. Well, I think it was good to end on a little bit of a positive note on this podcast, talking about the basketball team, but just because yeah. uh, we did we did go a little bit negative on you there uh, for for maybe twenty thirty minutes after the the Andy Bitter interview, but this is um, this is just the way we've been feeling with regard to the football team. But uh, I would agree. It's, it, it's good. And it's not to be negative on the fo- I'm, I'm still, I'm still juiced up. I'm still going to games next year. I just think that, um, I, the, 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 the kind of the whiplash that we get between positivity and negativity, there's a balance in between yeah. that you have to find. Yeah. And it's okay for things to just be a little bit negative. Like you don't always have to be positive. You don't always have to be negative. You can kind of just say, "Hey, this is a little bit of a problem." And I guess that's what we were trying to get out of Andy, which is, "What do you What do you think? What's the status quo? Like, what where is this team sit, and what's important to them moving forward?" And I want to see more consistency. That that's what I want to see as best we can is more consistency in the program and. Next year, everybody, I think, on the roster is going to be a Fuente guy. Like, that's a Fuente recruit under it. So, you know, 
next after next year, there's not really much to hang your hat on in terms of, oh, well, it's because, you know, it was recruited by Beamer. The and excuses will start to dry up quite a bit if they haven't already. Yeah. And you get five to six years these days. And I'm not saying Virginia Tech should be that type of program that you only give five to six. I'm just saying that's where the market is at now. Like, you know, nobody wants it to be that way. People would like to have, you know, those situations where people get to stick around longer. But that's where life stands and that's where people expect it to be. So, you know, we have a couple, you know, three years, I guess, in terms of what um, Fuente gets to do with the program. And that's probably going to be it. He's going to be judged at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the last thing before we sign off is that from a national perspective, the, the, we have a lot of people that we listen to and stuff. We always talk about it. But Bill Connolly and Stephen Godfrey are two of the most well-respected names in college football writing. And when they were most recently talking about the Virginia Tech situation, their thoughts could be summed up with like, uh, "Yikes!" Like that—that's like that's what it looks like from the outside um, to the national people who know coaches and know people and know the relationships and are connected. They're like wow, what's going on there? That's not very good. So yeah, I, our, our I, reaction, we're, it, it is biased and it's personal for us, but then we also are trying to enlighten ourselves with the reactions of others and, and people on a national scale, and that's what they're saying as well. I said on the podcast, the time that I actually started to get a little bit worried because I've never been worried about Fuente was when Stephen Godfrey came out and said, yeah, I don't really know what's going on there. And he was going through all, they were going through all the coaches and everything. And I said on the podcast, I said, that was the only time that I was like, uh, what, wait, what? Cause he was super high on the hire. Oh, yeah, and he loved the Fuente hire. He said he, it was a perfect fit basically. Yeah. Yeah. When and then happened, all of a sudden, yeah. and all of a sudden on the, on, you know, PAPN, he just brought up, he was, yeah, I'm kind of worried about it. And that was, I don't know, six months ago, five months ago. Mm-hmm. And I was said to myself, Wow, that that's a and little bit worse. I think six months, right? Yeah, that was before everything else, and I think it's fine. I I, I think Fuente can absolutely write this ship. There's no question about him. My question is about transparency and consistency, and you know who we can keep on the team. That's really what it comes down to, and he has a ton of time to to you know both show and articulate what that means for the program. Unfortunately, he hasn't articulated it, but you know, he can show it through performance. And that's why I always say it comes down to wins for him. Yeah. All right. That's going to be it for the podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. It's 2DVT. If you need to email us anything, it's 2DVT at gmail.com. And we're also on Instagram. It's 2DVT and stream all of our podcasts, Check out all the beers, like Robbie said, 350-plus beers uh, on the website, 2DeepVT.com. Do you have any closing thoughts, Robbie? Go Hokies. (laughs) I stole your line. (laughs) That's right. Until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.